the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Today is the second Sunday of the Coptic month of Paopi, and we read today from the Gospel of St. Luke in the fifth chapter about the great miracle of the catch of fish. There is a, a famous uh, poem written by a poet, his name is Francis Thompson, which is published in 1893, and it's called The Hound of Heaven, The Hound of Heaven. And it became sort of a, a, a popular title in American culture uh, as an attribute of God. And some people even thought that this was one of the titles of God in, in the Bible because it became sort of common to refer to God as the hound of heaven. Hound, of course, is a, is a hunting dog who pursues uh, his prey and is relentless in his pursuit. And so the poem is about a man who is trying to flee from God and um, God is in imminent pursuit of the sinner. And in a sense, the hound of heaven is a, an appropriate uh, description of the gospel today. Because in fact, what we see is that the miracle is more about God's pursuit of Peter and his pursuit for each one of us. Like Peter, many of us are caught up in the world, we're caught up in the affairs of the world, and we, find, we try to find our satisfaction in the world, and yet we see that God is pursuing us to something greater, to something more deep and meaningful to our lives. In a sense, God is a hunter, and he hunts for us. We are the prey that he is seeking. In the gospel today, it might seem that everything sort of happens spontaneously, Peter, for the first time, meets the Lord and is overwhelmed by this miracle and leaves everything and follows him, sort of how we, the impression that we get with Matthew, the tax collector, when Jesus passed by his tax collection office and said, follow me, and he just left everything and followed him. But in fact, when we read the Gospel of St. Luke, we see that Peter had already had some interactions with the Lord. In fact, in the fourth chapter, which is just the chapter before this, Jesus entered into Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law. And he saw and witnessed many sick and demon-possessed who were healed that evening. So it's clear that Peter was not introduced to the Lord at this, in the occasion of this miracle. And it seems that the Lord had been sort of on the prey for Peter already. And so what we find in the gospel this morning is that the Lord sort of gently or maybe gradually is a better way of describing it, enters into Peter's life in order to extract Peter from the affairs of his life in order to follow him and be his disciple. And so in the gospel today, we is sort of the climax of this penetration of God into the heart of Peter. And in the same way, we can each think about how God sort of gradually calls us to greater and greater commitment to him greater and greater love, greater and greater sacrifice. And sometimes he breaks through, and other times it's gradual. The voice of the Lord is gradual in our lives. But Christ purposefully enters into Peter's boat. It's not just by chance that he chose this boat versus the other boat. Again, the gospel today is about the pursuit of Peter, the hound of heaven seeking his prey. And what he reveals to Peter that perhaps Peter didn't even know yet, and something that we also need to discover, is that behind Peter's desire 
for success, for a career, for a family life. There was a desire beyond the desire. And what the Lord does is he awakens this desire in Peter and he awakens this desire in each one of us in his own way and in his own time. So if we take the verse from 1 John 4.19, beautiful verse, hopefully we all have it memorized, it's very short. We love him because he first loved us. And we can just as much, we can just as much say, we desire him because he first desired us. So God's desire of us, his hunting after us, reveals to us that in fact, what we are truly seeking for our own fulfillment is found in him. So this idea of the desire beyond the desire, on the surface, on the surface, the Lord gives Peter sort of everything that he could ask for, right? He enters into Peter's uh, boat, which is his livelihood, and he performs this miracle in which he brings about more fish than Peter can even carry in his boat. He has to bring the other boat to help him carry in all the fish. So in a sense, he sort of shoves down Peter's throat what Peter thinks is his ultimate desire. If Peter, yet unawakened to the desire for God, for the Lord, if you were to ask him, what is your greatest desire? You'd say it would be to fill my boat with fish every time I go out. It would be to be able to feed my family and not have them hungry. And to be able to pay my taxes to people like Matthew and Zacchaeus and still have enough for a nice vacation every year and so on. So the Lord gives him that. And yet it's obvious from the gospel today that Peter wasn't satisfied. How come? How can we know this? How can we know that Peter, in fact, having received everything that the day before would have been his heart's greatest desire, how do we know that, in fact, it didn't satisfy him? Well, the gospel tells us, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So what was Peter's reaction to the fulfillment of his greatest desire? Was to forsake it all. Like in the very moment that he was granted everything that he could ask for is at the moment that he realized, I don't want it anymore. I found something better. So as one um, writer said, the initial desire took him to the lake, but it was a desire beyond the desire that called him beyond the lake. So sometimes it's our initial desires that take us to the places in life that God leads us to certain careers, to certain relationships, friendships, to certain services that we do and we offer for him. But ultimately, he might draw us in to these activities only to draw us out of them into something bigger and more beautiful. And like Peter, I think all of us can relate to the disappointments, the frustrations, the exhaustion of everyday life. Peter was tired. They had toiled all night. They caught nothing. It probably wasn't the first night that he had that experience. It probably wasn't the first time that he was frustrated, exhausted, and disappointed in the fulfillment of what he thought were his greatest desires. 
And so we also must be attentive to those frustrations and disappointments and the difficulties that we face every day because they might be precisely the opening, the window by which God is going to break through to draw us out of our mundane and everyday life. Sister Ruth Burroughs, in uh, one of her many profound uh, descriptions of the human person, she says, created by love and for love, nothing on earth can ever fully satisfy us. Still, we are creatures of the earth. We love it. It is our home, the maternal womb in which we are nourished and by which our needs are answered. Yet our deepest heart has a need that earth cannot fulfill, the need for God. We are of this world, adopted, adapted to it, drawn to it, yet called to a destiny that is beyond all created capacity to attain. This is what she calls our basic poverty. We are a yearning, an emptiness crying out to be filled by God. What does it mean to be truly poor, she says? What is the poverty of humanity? It is that we are an emptiness. We are a yearning crying out to be filled by God. We long for something that we have not, that we have not got, and what is more, cannot get on our own. No such longings trouble other creatures and inhabitants of the, of the world. She's talking here about, for example, the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom, the, she says, their instincts direct them of necessity to the fulfillment within this world. That is, any animal finds its fulfillment by following its instincts. It doesn't seek for anything beyond them. It doesn't have a yearning for something beyond what is fulfilled in its instincts. Only the human person has an intense yearning and desire for something that cannot be fulfilled by his instincts. So she says, their instincts direct them of necessity to their fulfillment within this world. Born, they grow to maturity, reproduce, and die. Our grandeur and our pain are that creatures of the earth that we are, our destiny is transcendent. It is beyond created things beyond what we can know of ourselves attain, beyond what we can know or of ourselves attain. Only God can bring us to God. Only God can bring us to God. And that's what the Lord does today. God brings Peter to God. We must allow him to see, sorry, we must allow him to show us the way, the way of obedience, she says. So, this is the pain of, of, of the human person that is deep within each one of us, is that we long for our fulfillment, but we cannot find it in the things created in this world. Our instincts don't direct us to them. The basic necessities that we achieve don't direct us to them. Something is calling us beyond this world, and only God can bring us to it. So this is the desire beyond the desire. But also what we discover Today is this dreadful experience of Peter, a dreadful encounter. Dreadful here means an awesome, It. And I asked myself, what does it mean that Peter saw it? What did he see? Did he see?
sight with his physical eyes, but it was an awakening, a spiritual awakening. He saw in that he understood for the first time in his life something that he had not seen or understood before. Right? It's that moment that we can imagine the, the eyes of the blind man, somebody who has been blind his whole life since birth, that experience of seeing for the first time. at the end of his experience, has also this sort of experience, this awakening. In the 42nd chapter, as sort of the, the, the conclusion of the story, Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Very interesting. I heard you with my ears, but that wasn't enough for me to come to a true realization. But now, he says, I see you. And therefore, because I see you, I despise myself. I fall down before you like Peter. Isaiah had the same experience. Isaiah, he had in the beginning of uh, the book of Isaiah in chapter 6, he has this vision of the Lord enthroned, surrounded by the seraphim singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he sees, that is, he has an enlightening experience, an inner experience, an awakening, a realization. And what does he say? He says, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we can also look at the experience of the apostles in the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? They fell on their faces, the gospel tells us, and were greatly afraid. They were undone. They despised themselves. They were, their eyes were opened. Now, Peter didn't say he was afraid. Peter didn't say, this is a frightening experience, Lord. Peter just fell on his face. But the Lord said to Peter, do not be afraid. The Lord knew that Peter's experience was one of dreadful fear. The Lord saw Peter have this experience in which everything now came to the surface. surface. He began to understand things as they really are, not as, as he understood them before. And it was a frightening experience for Peter, as it is for us. Jesus, in a sense, called out Peter's inner experience and called it what it was. You are now in dreadful fear because what have you experienced within yourself in relationship to me? And this is the fear of confronting that poverty that Sister Ruth Burroughs talked about with the divine majesty, with the glory, with the holiness of God, with the eternity of God, with the love of God, with the mercy of God, and that profound experience of our nothingness. And so Christ entered into that nothingness. Yes, 
Christ entered into the poverty of our humanity. He experienced what that poverty was like from the inside too, not just externally. As a matter of fact, it was a heresy in the early church to, to say simply that Jesus appeared to be human, but his human experience from, was from within. And so Christ entered into that poverty and he raised it to glory. And therefore he says to Peter in advance of explaining all of these things in time, don't be afraid. I know the poverty that you are feeling, that estrangement, that being despised because of your sins. I'm taking all, upon, all of that upon myself. All of, all of what you despise about yourself, all of your sins, all of that separation that you have from God, Jesus is saying to Peter and to us, he's saying, don't be afraid. I'm going to take all of that. And so, again, Sister Ruth Burroughs very profoundly, she speaks about this pain, not a pain that we might describe as a physical pain or a pain of suffering, but she says it's the pain of being me. The pain of being me. She says, there is, I think, a particular aspect of pain that gets neglected in that it is deemed too mean, shameful even, to form part of what we are happy to offer to God. What she's saying is, is that we can offer to God, let's say, the pain from our cancer, the pain from our, our family problems, the pain from our financial problems. We can offer these things to God. But she says there is something, there is a deep pain within us that sometimes we're even too shameful to offer to God. She says it is an incommunicable pain having to do just with me being me. The pain of me being me. And the me I do not like. Instinctively, we contrast this unclaimed pain with what we call real suffering, bereavement, oppression, torture, hunger, imprisonment, illness, and so on. And this makes us even more ashamed and self-despising. How dare we consider that this pain that I have of me being me and a me that I don't like can be compared to what I perceive to be only real pain, hunger, torture, imprisonment, illness, and so on. So this adds to our pain of me being me. She says, some of us know this about ourselves, but some, I think, do not. And therefore, this particular pain, so precious, I believe, in God's eyes, is not exposed to him, and so it blocks our capacity for wholehearted love. We are that much less of a person. The pain may be precisely the inability to accept myself. Let us take every aspect of our human experience and spread it out to God without fear, without shame. I think Peter had this experience today. I think he feel, felt the pain of him being Peter. It wasn't a pain from sore muscles. It wasn't a pain from an illness. It wasn't the pain of not being able to pay his bills. He was in great pain for just simply being Peter. And each one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we have that deep pain within ourselves. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. And as I was meditating on this this week for myself, I formed a little dialogue between the Lord and myself. And it has two parts. It's his words to me and his words to you. He says, do not be afraid. And then he follows it by, from now on, as he says to Peter, what, from now on, 
you will catch men. From now on, I will make you a fisher of men. From now on, but I want to replace the rest of that verse with our own words. What am I afraid of? And what does he say to me in my fear? He says, do not be afraid of your sinfulness. From now on, you will experience endless mercy. Do not be afraid that you don't understand what's happening. Peter, fill in the blank of the name. From now on, you will experience endless mystery and assurance with my presence. Do not be afraid of this calling, this vocation, this direction that I call your life to. From now on, you will see the endless providential care and direction that I will provide you. Do not be afraid, he says to me, that your life is now being overturned in a way that you could never What eye has not seen or ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which I will prepare for you if you love me. Do not be afraid that you will lose your happiness because you are forsaking all for my sake. Do not be afraid that you are losing your happiness because you are abandoning the very things that you think will make you happy in your securities. From now on, you will experience endless contentment and joy. Uh, Elder Paisius, on this last point, or on this point, he says that there, in sort of a parable, he says there was a council of the demons, and they gathered together and they were discussing how can we hide happiness from humans. And so one of the senior demons said, why don't we take happiness and we put it on the highest peak of the highest mountain on the earth? And they discussed it and they said, well, nowadays humans have all kinds of technologies and to go up high into the sky and they'll find it there. So another demon said, how about if we take happiness and we bury it in the deepest recesses of the ocean? They thought that's not a bad idea, but then one of them said, well, now they have submarines and they have ways of going to the depths of the bottom of the ocean as well. So there was a young demon was sitting quietly and they asked him, what do you think? Do you have any ideas? He says, I have a place that no one will ever suspect. No one will ever think that they can find happiness there. And they said, oh, tell us. We would like to know where is this place? And he said, in the human soul. In the human soul. So don't be afraid. And then the last one that I, again, for myself, don't be afraid or do not be afraid of being discovered, of being exposed, of being who you are. From now on, I will heal you, I will transform you, I will give you freedom and newness of life. So I encourage each of you to come up with your own dialogue. Do not be afraid from now on. Fill in the blanks. And again, this last point of being discovered, uh, I, in the past, I've mentioned to you 
about a, a wonderful saint, a, a Croatian saint. His name is Father Leopold Mandic. He was a very uh, simple, humble monk. In fact, he was so simple and humble that they didn't really allow him to do much. He, couldn't, he didn't preach. He didn't uh, have any sort of position within the community. So they told them, you take confessions. And God gave him the gift of reading the hearts of the people that came to him in confession. And so he took confessions for sometimes 8, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. And there were people coming from all over to go to confession to this humble little, he was like four foot tall, monk, uh, because he opened the hearts of the people. And I always think, what, it, what is it that attracts me to wanting somebody to tell me who I am? You know, like, I don't know who I am. I don't know if I'm pleasing to God at this very moment. So if somebody who has a heavenly authority can tell me who I am, how beautiful would that be? How painful would that be? How whatever that experience might be for each of us. So in his biography, the author of his biography, he says, the power to read the hearts of others, a marvelous gift which makes a lasting impression on anyone upon whom it is exercised, reducing him to a feeling of nothingness, right? being exposed. Our security, in fact, rests largely on the impenetrability of our conscience to human eyes. That is, hiding who we really are from others. But if one finds oneself face to face with someone who can tear aside the veil and read deep into the remotest corners of one's heart, one feels lost and filled with fear. We feel a great need to know ourselves, and it, is, it was this need that made Father Leopold so much sought after. We felt that he could see into our innermost selves and know us and help us to know ourselves. The fact remains that being with him was like being under a powerful searchlight that penetrated our darkest corners. And then one of the stories, which I'll relate, was in 1934, a man who was far away from God, estranged from God, was convinced by some of his friends to go with them to visit Father Leopold and to confess. It was around Easter time and they said, you know, at least let us confess before Easter. So he went with them, but he had no intention of joining them in confession. He had no desire for spiritual things. He just went with them for the trip. And as he was standing with all the other dozens of people waiting for confession, Father Leopold opened the door and addressed him and said, you, sir, come. I've been waiting for you, you know. The man was surprised. He was taken aback. But once inside, he was stuck. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. So Father Leopold spoke for him. He said, you didn't want to come, did you? But God wanted you to come. Don't worry. I will tell you what to confess. And he began to make confession for the man. He began to tell him everything that was inside of his soul. And he asked him, is this not right? Is this so? Is it such? And the man was trembling, answering yes. And now, are you sorry? Will you lead a good Christian life from now on? Father Leopold asked him. Again shaking, he said, yes. Well then, God forgives you everything. And I thank you for bringing me such joy. This is Father Leopold saying to him. I thank you for bringing me such joy. 
but I expect to see you again. You will come, won't you? And we will become good friends. The man's life was completely changed, and he ran out telling everybody that was no ordinary man. He, was a, he is a saint. And in fact, he did return to Father Leopold, and as Father Leopold prophesied, they became good friends. So this was the experience of Peter today. And I just will end with uh, something for you to take back with you, which is this beautiful threefold progression that happened in the gospel today. And think about that in your own life. The first that was listening, Peter heard the word of God. Jesus said, give me your boat so that I can preach the word of God. What allowed Peter to follow with obedience was that his heart was softened by the word. So the first step was hearing the word of God, receiving the word of God. The second, Jesus said to him, Peter, launch out into the deep, and he obeyed. And the third one was surrender, total surrender of his life. Leave all, forsake all, and follow me. So in our lives, think about this threefold progression. You cannot follow God, you cannot surrender your life to God unless you obey him. And you cannot obey him unless you listen to him every day, every moment of your life. So every day, ask yourself, what did I hear God's called me today? How should I obey his word? How can I surrender myself to him? You can see it as a progression or you can see it even as just three things that you should do every day. Every day, do these three things. What does the Lord want to say to me? In what way must I obey the Lord? And in what aspect of my life today should I trust him? Should I abandon myself to him? May our Lord Jesus Christ, who, as the poet said, is the hound from heaven, the hound of heaven, who sought Peter and brought him to his own fulfillment. May he also bring us to our own destiny, our own fulfillment, and to him be all glory now and ever and to the ages of ages. Amen. Did I